Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I have somebody live in the audience. I've got Tegan Bennett Daylight. Now, Tegan. Before I ask you, I want to ask our general public out there, were your teenage years full of new experiences? Perhaps there are still incidents that you remember back on and think, oh, I wish I had handled that differently. Or as one of the characters in Tegan Bennett Daylight's book, Six Bedrooms, said, oh, I did something which, years later, still has the power to make me shudder. (laughs) Good morning, Tegan. Good morning. How are you? Good. Now, your book, titled Six Bedrooms, what's included in your six bedrooms? Well, oddly enough, it's not six stories. It's ten stories. And they're set, the majority of them are set in the 1980s, which is the time that I grew up. And they're really all about people who are coming of age in some way or another. So they are stories not about large humiliations or large events, but small humiliations, the sorts of things that I think every teenager, wherever they are, undergoes. So we have binge drinking and the consequence of vomiting, caring for pets and getting too close to a tortoise. Yes. <laughs> and now that apparently that <laughs> really happened. That really is. That really did happen. Uh, when I was eight or nine, I was having a day off from school. I think I was chucking a sickie. My mother was having a lunch party, which meant wine. And I went out the door and walked up the street and there's a little reserve in my street and there was a dog in the street barking at something in the grass and biting it. And I walked forward and kind of shifted the dog out of the way and found a tortoise with its <laughs> – it's one of those stories – with its shell. It was, it was biting bits off the shell, the Aww. dog was. So I picked the tortoise up, being that kind of little girl. I thought I would try and protect it. And I picked it up and kind of held it over my shoulder out of the way of the dog. And the tortoise took hold of my ear with its mouth, <gasps> attached itself to my ear. And I had to carry it all the way home, hanging from my ear, and have my mother – Help me remove it. So, I don't think it's ever happened to anybody else in the history of no, the world. I, I, I read that and I thought, that is certainly different. That didn't happen in my teenagehood. Yeah. But so many other things did. Look, you, miss, you finish most of these 10 short stories on a reflective piece. And um, this is also the time in our teenage years that we often choose our friends. You have one, Tasha. And she said about her friend, being in charge of the truth of the friendship, Mm. that's what I controlled. Yeah. Being in charge of the truth of the friendship. What do you think? Well, I think often in a lot of close friendships, I couldn't speak for between boys, but between girls, there's generally one person who is in charge, who's somehow the power in the relationship. And obviously the power shifts back and forth. There's generally one who's more vocal and who kind of runs things. And the case of Tasha and her friend Judy, Judy is overweight and because of that she feels she's sort of less powerful than Tasha and so Tasha runs things a little and she also, she's in charge of the way they tell themselves to each other 
that mm. she's in charge of the way of her own image in front of Judy. Tasha's somebody who's not very powerful in the rest of her life. So whatever little power she has, she wields very strongly when she's with Judy. We, uh, friends, they have the ability to hurt you. And this is, this is reading from page 168. I couldn't explain to Evie when she wrote to me asking why we were not friends anymore that I was still trying to lose the old self to become someone a little faster, a little smoother than everyone else or at least someone who could keep up. It's a beautiful whole sections of women or girls doing friendship and what mm. really friendship still me- means to us now. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? For me, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I was trying to reshape what had been, a, for me, inside a very awkward teenage self into somebody who was a bit stronger, a bit less likely to betray herself by saying something stupid or doing something stupid. And I really recalled that feeling of trying to move ahead of myself Mm -hmm. which sometimes I'm afraid meant trying to move ahead of old friends. There's also the new experiences, old friends and new boyfriends. Mm. A few of the stories tell about the crushes that we have on the brother or the sister of our friends and the need to find a date for a formal and losing your virginity. (laughs) Um, I'd like I'd like you to read if you wouldn't mind this bit from page 96 Mm. I've read this one aloud before isn't that interesting people often choose this bit and it goes like this from there to there from here okay it was not that I wanted to be a virgin it just seemed to have happened I'd missed a chance once with a nice boarder from the nearby boys' school. I wished now that I'd taken advantage of him. But I only had to look at him to drench him in blushes. He would turn up at our house to see if I wanted to go for a walk and be unable to talk to my mother while I thumped upstairs for my sneakers. And then we would walk along the back streets, leaves whispering, me talking too fast, him not talking at all, our shoulders occasionally unhappily bumping. I was too embarrassed about my own lack of experience to take his on as well. In London, I couldn't see how anyone, even a nice, shy, terrified boy who couldn't get anyone else, would be attracted to me. Well, he was, and that all happened. Um, Another character, so another character, Rose, she's interested in losing her virginity. Mm. But as you've talked about, you know, this, this sort of... Wanting to change yourself. And it's from uh, quoting from page 171. In this part of my life, I was watching and waiting. I was waiting to be transformed. I would be nobody until someone chose me. Mm, it's quite a shaming sort of a, a feeling to reflect on. But I do think, um, I do think, I don't know whether it's the same for younger women. I'm 46. I do think... Plenty of women of my generation still had that sense that until they were partnered with a boy, they wouldn't quite exist. It's terrible to acknowledge. And it doesn't mean that uh, our mothers weren't strong women and that we haven't gone on to have jobs and live a big life, but I I do still think that that was a common feeling. 
Well, it's uh, through um, Tegan Bennett's book, uh, Tegan Bennett Daylight's book, Six Bedrooms. It's not just the teenage years that she writes about. It's also our first independent living. So Six Bedrooms... Mm. That's one of the short stories. One Where's of the that stories. Set? That one's set in the inner city Sydney su- suburb of Enmore, which is just up the road from Newtown, which is probably our most famous inner city suburb these days. And um, I did live in a house that had six bedrooms in it. It was three. It was four story actually, and you never knew who was home and who was not, and you could spend time in certain rooms. Other rooms were forbidden to you. It was a sort of mixture of communal and very lonely living, and it's always haunted me, actually. I've always wanted to write about it. <laughs> well, you do. Well, because you, you, it, you live so close to others that you do get insights into their lives, but it often proves that you are just so much more immature than others. Yeah, yeah, and also that you're alone. Even though you, you're living with people and you're sort of doing things together, you realise that in a situation like that you really are forging uh, a way only for yourself. One of the characters in there, um, Mira, uh, another quote, she was looking for someone like me, someone she could make feel worse than she did herself. She'd probably learnt to divide and rule in the playground. Oh, it's a, it's a very mm. good criticism. But mm. once again, it's looking back at a whole situation. Yeah. And, you know, a friend of mine said to me just yesterday or the day before, he just read the collection and he said, it's so interesting, all this reflection. He said there's a real pull towards the future for all of these characters. And I think I did need to be as old as I am now to be able to write this stuff because it's Nothing really remarkable or enormous happens to these characters, but it's very tender material in a lot of ways. And you do need that distance, I think, to be able to look at it properly. Well, it's not just people looking at their own relationships where they're young and reflection. You have, uh, well, who's telling the story in Chemotherapy Bay? Chemotherapy Bay is, it doesn't really strictly have a narrator. It's not first person, and a lot of the stories are first person. It's third person, but it is told from the point of view in third person of Elizabeth, who is a close, who's one of, one of whose oldest friends is dying of cancer. How about, you do it so nicely, how about a little bit more reading? Um, this is from page 40. I very much appreciate actually hearing the words of the book on the radio and it's really nice that you're reading it out loud. So uh, Elizabeth, the character of Elizabeth, has a boyfriend called Ross and a friend called Martin who uh, is at this stage just beginning to be very sick with cancer. And they take him out to lunch, although involuntarily he kind of pushes his way in. Elizabeth and Ross eating soup were silent at first but eventually began desperately to talk. It didn't work. The words were familiar but something about their pitch and the arrangement of them was wrong. Instead of their own language, they spoke a cafe speak that was totally foreign to them They talked about celebrities and the food in loud, unpleasant voices. Occasionally they addressed Martin, who would nod or shake his head. He wore reflective sunglasses so that Elizabeth and Ross could see themselves in tortured shapes as they ate. Yes, now, the relationships in here in this book, I thought Martin was Elizabeth's son, so I got that one quite wrong. Isn't that interesting? Uh, You're not the first person to wonder about what that relationship was. It's really just an intimate long but non-sexual friendship 
and they still can't talk. You know, they, they mm. look. They can only talk about remedies. They can't talk about acceptance, which shows you that other development in relationships. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting when you're young. If uh, illness attacks you or one of your friends, you don't really have many tools to deal with it. So I guess that's what it's about. Mm. Well, I, uh, as I said, I thought um, Martin was the son. So I also thought the other father that came, the, uh, the other man that came into that story was his father. And we have just through this book 10 short stories, but lots of different types of family. Mm. Fathers not living at home or having a different family at the same time. Another father accusing his son of being gay just because he wants to sing in a choir. And then there's Darcy who wants his father cold and dead and gone. He's Why? uh he's he's quite a character that Darcy. Mm. Uh oh. he's he is He was your only male narrator. Yeah, too. it's interesting, isn't it? He's drawn from life, although I won't say I mean and the facts are very different, but I did once meet a boy like him and he, in his situation he lives in a miserable house with a tyrannical father and a very weak mother and he's the youngest of two sons and as is really frequent in this kind of situation it's the older son who's in constant conflict with the father Mm. and it's the younger who is probably going to be able to get away but at this stage he's not quite getting away and he's inflicting this tyrannical behavior on his girlfriend without even realizing that he's doing it horrific you know this is he and his girlfriend this is Darcy and Noor he didn't mind them touching at school because they could only go so far. But if they tried anything more when they were alone, it made him shivery with something that felt like anger. He felt pushed and forced and furious and he had to take deep breaths and not meet Noor's eyes until it had passed. It's not a very comfortable sexuality. (laughs) No, and the the thing about him is that he spent his whole life having somebody wielding a hideous power over him and he can't bear to feel powerless. And, of course, when you feel oh. desire, you also lose power in a sense. And so that's what he's feeling when he feels desire for his girlfriend. He can't bear the sensation of losing the plot a bit, I guess. I'd hoped he might, um, on reflection, grow a bit too, but I worry. He'll be okay. I promise. <laughs> I like him too much. He'll be fine. <laughs> the opening line of one of the short stories is, Fern's mother died on a cruise. It's, it's a pretty oh, yeah. way to start. The other mothers in these short stories weren't perfect. What was Tasha's mum like? She is an interesting character. She is a very vital, alive, intelligent, witty sort of a person. She's really well read, but she is a person who has allowed the difficulties of her life to rule her. She hasn't taken charge of her life when she should, so... I always feel there's something going on behind her and in her past, and I'm not entirely sure what that is yet. But when her when she discovers that Tasha's father, her husband, has a second wife mm. and a second family, she she sees this as permission to completely lose the plot. She chucks him out, and then she becomes a very, very, very heavy drinker. And at this stage, Tasha's only a year old, I think. And so her childhood is ruled, and her teenagehood is ruled by her mother's drinking. But it's not a completely negative relationship, because her mother, as I said, is somebody who is still very alive and interesting and vivid and attached to life. So they do have, living alone together in the house, they have an interesting time. 
I'm speaking with Tegan Bennett-Daylight about her book Six Bedrooms and it's short stories. But this family, T- uh, Tasha and her mother and um, brother James and father, keep propping up, cropping up through the short stories. Mm, now, mm. tell me as an author, it would have been probably just as easy to write a story about them rather than just these little... An entire novel about them. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the short story form seems to do something to the way that I think that works for me. It allows me to only work in the areas that I'm interested in working in. I'm like, um, let me think, I'm like a, somebody who paints only flowers or only yeah. the centres of flowers or only insects or something like that. I'm not interested in the landscape so much at the moment, even though I've written novels before. I'm really interested in the small events that make up a life. And a novel actually uh, starts to sag if you try to give it too many small moments, whereas a short story can really flower under that sort of... You know, you talk about flower and short stories. I'm, I'm going to question you about something. A quote. No one had thought to plant trees, so there were no birds. In a lot of these short stories, you mention birds. You mention magpies, miners, silver eyes, sparrows, and even one character who changed her name from Laura to Lorikeet. And from page 195, another quote. Ben started to kiss her in a way that made me feel sick, as though he was a mother bird feeding a baby. Did you realise that birds made such an element through the book? You are the first to say that. What a wonderful reader you are. This is fabulous. I'm <laughs> loving this. Um, I grew up in uh, a, a suburb that we at my high school used to call Leafies. It was a very leafy suburb. It was a, it was a, a wealthy suburb in the north shore of Sydney. And so we were surrounded by birds all the time. And I now live in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, a couple of hours out of Sydney. And our house is surrounded by uh well rosellas and cockatoos are the main ones but many many magpies and so birds are everywhere so they've got into your they've got into my way of thinking and the other thing was my mother was my mother was a huge influence on my way of looking at the world and she was interested in birds as well so she was always sort of pointing them out to me and talking about them Many books start with lines of poetry or esoteric quotes from esteemed literary figures, but yours is something from Tim Winton, which I really understand, and it really fits the relevance of the book. And just quoting Tim Winton now, the past is in us and not behind us. Things are never over. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, and it really fitted in because, as I said, you sort of feel that... Oh, the reflection in this book is fantastic. Yeah. Now, um, Tegan Bennett-Daylight, you're you're going to be speaking at the Wheeler Centre. That's right. I've got a gig there tonight, um, hosted by the magnificent Tony Jordan, mm-hmm. with two great Melbourne writers, um, Tony They've Birch all been on this and program. Liam Cooper. Have they? Lovely. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting them. And I can sort of see that where they'll be talking to just how much that uh, that growing up is important to what they are now. That's right. That's what we're going to be talking about. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Well, if you can't get... Oh, um, I read... Now, this is Tegan Bennett-Daylight's book, Six Bedrooms, published by Vintage, which is Random House off-print. It's a read, short stories, a read which may make you recall your own moments of fumblings and anxieties through your teenage years. And if 
you don't. I don't think you've had real experience. <laughs> There's something in there for everyone. Thanks very much, Tegan. Thank you. Thanks for reading it so well. <laughs>